Hello, and welcome to 404 Podcast Found. I'm your host, Owen Godimer. This episode is brought to you by Agile Plus DevOpsCon, where you can discover the latest in Agile and DevOps methods, tools, and leadership practices. We'll have more on that later. For now, let's jump into the episode. Lisa Crispin is a testing advocate at Mabel and an authority in Agile testing. I recently sat down with Lisa at a conference in Washington, D.C., and we talked about how testers can add value to development teams, the importance of exploratory testing in automated development pipelines, and why Agile isn't all about speed. The simplest way that I think testers can add value, and even if they're brand new to testing, is just to ask questions. Because we think of questions nobody else thinks of. Like, I was in a meeting yesterday that was kind of a sprint kickoff, and, and uh, you know, I, I was, I'm not really on that team, so I was kind of staying, staying out of it, but then a couple of times it's like, I just have to ask this question, and I asked the question, and there'd be this silence, and it's like, well, that's a, that's a really good question. Well, we should figure that out the answer to that, you know? So it's just a perspective that all the developers don't necessarily have. Um, and then the other way is just by trying to transfer our testing skills. So the other, like one of the things I suggested at this meeting yesterday is like, or I kind of asked him, I said, do you do desk checking? You know, like if a developer is about to check in the code for a story and she thinks she's done, uh, it's really great if she would maybe ask a tester or another developer and just say, hey, let me walk this through this with you. Here's my code, here are my tests. Let's do a little manual testing. And then, you know, either you're going to discover something that's not quite done yet or, yeah, we're really confident about that. And so if I go pair with a developer to do that, that helps them see how I think and how I test and how I explore. And then they start to pick up those skills. And then full-on pairing, which I've done a lot, but that's harder to get going with a team that's not used to it and not set up for it. So, um, but those are, those are a couple of really simple things. And just asking questions, you know, one of the, my favorite exercises that I got from Abby Bangser is just visualizing your pipeline as a tester, go say, hey, what, is our, what does our deployment pipeline look like? Can you draw it for me or can you put it on cards and lay it on the table for me? And then start asking questions about it. Um, you know, what does this test suite do? What do you learn from this one? And that just helps generate the discussions if people go, oh, you know what? We could run those in parallel or, oh, we don't really need this here. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think those are some great strategies and I love the... Uh, uh, two things is, is the tester asking the developer question, but also the developer, if you get that opportunity to sit down with them at their desk and ask them, or the developer might have asked questions, the tester's doing something, oh, mm-hmm. why are you doing that? Right. And then they can think through that and then use that the next time they're trying to build code. Like, mm-hmm. you know, last time I was talking with Lisa, she said that maybe we can import, or she tried this, so I have to consider that when I do this next time. Um, and you're talking about manual testing, potentially in that process, obviously with Agile and DevOps, we're trying to move fast and, mm-hmm. and we're trying to deliver valuable software in a timely manner. Um, are there opportunities still within a, an automated DevOps pipeline to still inject yourself with manual testing? Um, there are a couple of different approaches to that. And on my last team, one of the things that we made a conscious effort to do was the testers paired with developers at least a couple of days a week. And also we did exploratory testing workshops to teach them how to do that. And the, the they were charged with doing exploratory testing themselves as they paired on everything at that, on that team, they did exploratory testing on the story itself because we only had a couple testers for like 30 developers. That doesn't scale. Mm. So we taught them some basic skills, writing the charters, um, 
you know, we had Elizabeth Henderson's testing heuristic cheat sheet on all the workstations. And we had, we actually made our own little checklist that we put into the Slack channel so that they could go through that. And that was really effective. And one of the reasons it was that they were keen to learn exploratory testing, because a lot of developers may not think they are, is that their boss said, okay, here are the levels of, of advancement for a developer here. And here's the level of exploratory testing skills you need at each of these levels. So that was part of their professional development. So that really motivated them. You really need that management support because if the managers are like, just write some code and get that feature out and not thinking about, we're trying to do continuous delivery here. We need good quality code or this is not going to work. And so that really worked well for us. And the other thing we did was you still need to do testing at the feature level. So we got all these little stories that make them a feature. We tested them at this granular level. But how does everything work together? How does everything work with other systems? So we wrote exploratory testing charters at the feature level. Those were in the backlog with all the other stories. And then we used feature flagging or feature toggles. We leased feature toggles. And so we just kept the feature off in production until we had that manual exploratory testing finished. So it's an asynchronous part of your pipeline. Still part of your pipeline, but it, but it's asynchronous. And you could do that with security testing, accessibility testing, anything where you feel like you might automate some of it, but you really need a person to get in there and dig around and make sure you feel confident. Right, yeah, I think that's so important. I think that uh, when I'm at some of these conferences, I hear you know, manual testing is dead or manual testing is going to go away with automation. And the truth is you really do need... I've been hearing that since the early 90s right. when I first became a tester, so... Yeah, you really do need the manual, the, the human element of people going in there. Because the thing is, is that we can we can teach the automation or tell the automation to do so many different things. But at the end of the day, like it's not the same as having a human clicking through and, and, and testing. Different well, things. we want to automate the things that can be automated, which is all the really boring stuff that nobody wants to do manually. <laughs> and that you might do badly manually because you hate doing it. So you might, it's like, ah, I've got this checklist of all the things I can check. And it's really hard to do number eight. So I'm just going to skip it because I don't think we touched that. Huh. So, yeah, you need to really automate those things so that you have time to do that other really serious manual exploring and, and security and all these things that are being becoming more and more important. Right, and, yeah, when, when you get to automate those boring things away, you really get an opportunity to flex your creative muscle and, mm-hmm. and think through more critically a lot of things. I think is a lot of the reason testers get into testing is they yeah. want to go in and do the exploring and, mm-hmm. and clicking and, and, and trying to figure out how other people might use that software. Right, and now we've got all these great tools that let us know how our how our real customers really are using it. So we we can instrument our code, and we can use tools like Segment that or uh, Mixpanel that give you information about what are people doing. You know, are they rage clicking here? <laughs> um, and and then you can look at your test coverage and say, hmm, this many users are using this page, but we only have this many automated tests that are checking that page, or we have this many assertions. Should we automate more or should we maybe focus some more exploratory testing there? Uh, you know, what do we need? And so having a lot more information from production can really help us with that because, you know, we know we're never going to have time to test all the things. But can we test the important things that are valuable to our customers? Right. Let's focus on those. Yeah, of course. So because uh, at the end of the day, those are the people that the software is for, is for the customer, whether it be external or internal mm-hmm. company. Those, those, that's what the software is created for. Um, so as we move, you know, I, I think that uh, Agile is maybe becoming a little bit more mainstream. More people, I think I heard in a survey this morning that 71% of, of teams are using that methodology, or at least claiming Saying to use that, that methodology. 
Um, but now DevOps is kind of coming along and, and uh, people are starting to like the idea of continuous integration and, and automation and whatnot. As we move to a more DevOps, or as teams start to move to more DevOps culture and start their DevOps journeys, what are some sticking points you see with with new teams, new to DevOps, or even teams that are experienced in DevOps with the testing side of things? Well, yeah, the whole Agile versus DevOps. I mean, it's the same thing. DevOps mm-hmm. is built on top of Agile, and and it's interesting that we had a guest blog post a couple of weeks ago that I thought was really insightful of teams that focus on Agile. It's they struggle and they they just can't seem to get a hold of it. Teams that focus on DevOps end up agile because you have to do you have to do all these things to do continuous delivery. And those turn out to be a lot of the agile values and practices that we use. We have to do that collaborative effort. I think one of the mistakes people you make with DevOps is because unfortunately it's named DevOps and it doesn't include all the other things that need to be there. Uh, that that they hire DevOps practitioners and have a DevOps team. That's okay in terms of getting you going with learning how to do the infrastructure as code or learning how to use all these awesome tools that we have and setting up your pipeline. But you can't just leave it in the hands of a specialist. They've got to transfer that knowledge. Just like we testers have to transfer our testing knowledge. And so we all need to be collaborating with everybody on the team, transferring that knowledge. You know, there's, there's, uh, I think it was just, was it Johanna that recently had a, on a post that maybe we don't need uh, generalizing, what do we call them? Generalizing specialists or specializing general? Yeah. Anyway, generalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen- you know, Agile was supposed to be all about having generalists. And it's like, maybe we don't need them anymore because we do have all these specialists. And it's like, I think we do need specialists in a lot of cases, but I still think everybody on the team should be trying to learn as much as they can because there's going to be a time where the specialist isn't available and somebody else is going to have to step up. Right. And also, it gets the team thinking about before they even start building a new feature, it starts thinking about testability. It starts thinking about operability, instrumenting the code, for example. What can we do to make it testable, to make sure it's testable in production, to make sure we can react to production failures really quickly? We need to think about all those things up front and build that quality in. And, and I think when we do that with DevOps, it, it, it's, it's agile as well. I'm sad that we have to use all these labels. I think it's just human nature. Of course. I, I, I had a conversation with Kent back back in 2001 when we didn't have Agile yet even. We had extreme programming, which was awesome, but that's a terrible name. And um, and I, you know, I, I said, why'd you call it that? And he said, well, I said, I, you know, I hope in 10 years people just say, this is, this is a good ways to do software development and not have a name for it. This is software development. But we just can't seem to quite get there because people are hurting and they're struggling and they want they want that silver bullet so it has to have a name and we give it a name and then people people think it's going to be instant people think oh i'm adopting agile we're going to be fast no agile is not about speed it is about delivering value frequently but that's because we're delivering little increments of value and that's what continuous delivery is about that's how you get to agile with, with continuous delivery you can only, de- you're, de- you're deploying twice a week or maybe every day or multiple times a day. Those are tiny changes, which lowers our risk. But we're not going faster. We're not coding any faster. We're not typing any faster. We're learning good ways to slice these features down so we can deliver small increments. And the teams are able to learn the domain so that, the business domain, so that when the product team comes and says, well, we want this feature, we can look at it and say, well, what is the purpose? What are, what are your goals with this? And then we can say, you know what? We can do like 80% of what you want in half the time that we could, it would take us to do the whole thing. 
we can do this 80%. Is that good enough? And they always say yes. <clears throat> that makes you look really fast. But you didn't go any faster. You just cut out all the stuff they don't absolutely need. Right. And as you build in those increments, you're able to build small small chunks of it. Mm-hmm. If they decided at the end of that process, like, we really do need, or the customers really do want that extra 20%, then you can build at that point. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure nine times out of ten, they get to that point, they're like, yeah, we actually never needed that anyway. Mm-hmm. We want some new exciting feature. Right, exactly. And I think that's the beauty of, of Agile and DevOps. But, the you know, the important thing, uh, obviously, inside of all of that is that you're delivering, and you mentioned it a few times, quality software. Mm-hmm. That includes making sure that, that, that it's te- well-tested, uh, that it that it meets the security uh, standards that need to be met. Um, and, yeah, like you said, DevOps does not incorporate those test and sec words in there. But I think um, as we move forward, uh, ho- hopefully people understand that DevOps really is dev, test, sec, biz, whatever. No, it's everybody. It's yeah. everyone. And, and I think it's really just about opening up the communication channel. And I mean, I always have used the term developer to mean everybody on a team that's developing software. So in that sense, that name works. But right. people equate it with coders or programmers or engineers. So that makes it a little hard. But. Yeah, and I love that because at the end of the day, really, everyone, every person that's on the development team testing development, they're all developing mm-hmm. software. And they might, they're playing different roles potentially in developing that software. But they're all integral in the development of software. But unfortunately, I think one of the things that happens that's dysfunctional when teams say they're going to do DevOps is, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have our pipeline, we're going to use the cloud, we're going to get our developers working together with our operations people to get this going. They don't do anything for the testers, and they don't change the process for delivering features. Right. So they're still doing these big bang things. And they're and then they're acting, you know, and they're like, but we're going to deli- you know, we're going to release twice a week or every day. And they look at the testers and say, well, hurry up, get that tested. You know, so it just stresses people out. It's terrible. It's like that's not what it's about. Um, so yeah, they really need to back up, and that it's really hard to slice to slice those features down and deliver them incrementally. I mean, you know, our team's struggling with that. Everybody does. But once you do, and once you start getting into that cadence. It's no big deal to release every day. So, or whenever you need to, whenever you want. It's not a big deal. You're not stressing out like we used to on releasing. Oh, this is terrible. Now I need five days off. <laughs> right. So when you when you start to try to slice those stories down, you mentioned that they're often difficult to, to, to get through that initial process. There's some steps you can take to try to work through getting people away from like, oh, we're going to deliver 100% to let's deliver 5% in two weeks and work from there. I personally like to use frameworks that help us have those conversations. So one of the things I've used a lot is impact mapping, which is something developed by Goiko Azic several years ago. And it's pretty simple. And it's kind of like, it looks a lot like mind mapping. It's like, you have your goal. What are we trying to achieve with this feature? What's it going to do for the business? What's it doing for our customers? You know, hopefully making some money, whatever. And then, uh, so that's the why. And then... We think about, I'm probably going to screw this up because I'm not looking at an impact map right now. Uh, who can help us deliver that feature? DevOps, if you read Katrina Koki's book, A Practical Guide to DevOps, she has a big section in there on building relationships. Building relationships with the operations people, building relationships with developers, with product people, with whoever you need. And um, we need to think about who are all the people we need to build those relationships with. How can they help us? How might they get in our way? You know, maybe the finance person over there doesn't want to support us and doesn't want to buy us the tools that we need or something. And then how will they help us or support us? Now that's the next layer. 
And then finally, what are we going to deliver? What are what are they going to? What are we? What's going to emerge from this? And I've found that helps really. Once you do all the possibilities, then you you realize, oh, you know what? This part here, that's where probably the money is. That's probably where the revenue is. Let's start here, you know. Or maybe just this is all really difficult, but this one looks like a quick win. Let's try. Let's try this first as an experiment. So it just the visual really helps teams. The other thing I really really am a fan of is Jeff Patton's story mapping, and so that's all about you know. Timelining your feature. How will people use your feature? What will they do first? What will they do second? You know, and and then for each of those things, then you can dig into the details, and then you can start thinking. Okay, what's our minimum viable product? Or our Dita Karaj calls them learning releases because we're doing an experiment and we want to learn. I like that. Uh, and you know, so how are we going to slice that up? And again, it's a visual. You're doing it on a table or the floor or a wall, and it. The most important thing is it generates those conversations and makes you realize. Oh, you know, we didn't even think about that part. Like something comes up that the the product people or the marketing people or whatever, they didn't even think that think about it at all. And now that they've thought about it, they want to go back and regroup. So that can save you a lot of time and rework, which nobody likes rework. We all want to have fast cycle time, right? So uh, those frameworks I re- I think are really good. Um, just any kind of getting concrete examples from the business stakeholders of or from the customers or user research. Like, give us an example of how you want this to behave and, uh, and use those to illustrate the business roles. At the story level, I really like example mapping uh, from Matt Wynn, where it's like, we have, again, a goal. We have business roles, and for each business role, we have concrete examples. And those help us write the test specifications, right? And those can turn into automated tests that become regression tests later on. So. Um, I think all those things where we're using, you know, using our body, um, writing, talking, moving around, drinking water, um, those all help our brains function better. And, you know, we need that communication. Most software bugs are some lack of communication somewhere along the line, right? Right. So, um, So those are some of the frameworks I like. Just anything that gets people moving around, talking. Yeah, of course, we have a lot of distributed teams now, so that makes it more challenging, but we also have these really awesome tools. So. Yeah, I think that that's a, a great point, and using those tools kind of to your advantage when you are distributed and, and hopefully getting opportunities maybe throughout the year to get together as a team where you can have those true physical face-on-face conversations. Right. Um, I think that that's obviously super helpful. I love the idea of the, the story mapping um, and kind of drawing out and, mm-hmm. and just being able to visually see uh, this is what we're you know this is what we're trying to create, and, and uh, yeah, I never thought of that or, or yeah, maybe this would be a cool idea mm-hmm. um, and, and really being able to experiment and, and work through processes, smaller, smaller chunks of time where we can uh, basically try new things out. And I think that I love the, the learning, uh, the learning, learning release. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah, for sure. I, I, cause like you said, it's all about experimenting and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is going to work best for the team. What's going to work best for the, for the customer, mm-hmm. for the business. Um, and if we're able to to release these smaller learning releases, mm-hmm. figure out what it is, you know, retro that, re- retro the process, but also get feedback and, and figure out how are we going to improve that for right. learning release number two. Right. We're going to be able to deliver that value to mm-hmm. the customer, which is one of the principles is we're delivering value to the customer. Yeah. And if you're not delivering the software the customer wants, 
you're not delivering the value to them. Yeah. Or you may discover that's not even something they want. I mean, how many times have you worked on a team where you got this feature out and then nobody used it? Oh my gosh, why did we do that? Agile and DevOps East and West bring together practitioners seeking to accelerate the delivery of reliable, secure software applications. Find out how the practice of Agile and DevOps brings cross-functional stakeholders together to deliver software with greater speed and agility while meeting quality and security demands. Visit techwell.com to learn more and use the discount code 404 to save 10% off your next conference registration. We'd love to continue this conversation and more on the TechWell Hub. You can join our Slack community at hub.techwell.com. And remember to check out techwell.com to learn about our expert training, conferences, and communities for software professionals.